Well, please turn to Hebrews 11, Hebrews 11. If you don't uh, have a Bible, the fellows have some, so just get their attention so you can follow along as we look at Hebrews 11. As I mentioned, this week I had the opportunity to visit our nation's capital. And in fact, on Monday, I was given a personal tour of the Capitol building by a Senate staffer. We visited much of the grand building during the tour that went on for about an hour. And throughout the building, you find statues and you find portraits and busts of Americans from our history. There's even a section in the Capitol building called Statuary Hall. It's so named because it contains many of these statues. Memorialized in those statues, those portraits, and those busts are people's, people whose actions have affected our lives, most of them for good, but others not so much. There's a section in the building that once housed the Supreme Court. Of course, the Supreme Court now has its own building, but at one time it met in what is a room in what is now the, the Capitol. And there is a portrait there of Chief Justice Roger Tawney. He was the Chief Justice who wrote the infamous Dred Scott decision in 1856 that declared African Americans as less than fully human. There's a statue of Robert E. Lee, the famous general of the Confederate Army during the Civil War. My favorite, though, and from more recent history, was the statue of Ronald Reagan. And it has embedded in it portions of the Berlin Wall to commemorate his famous 1987 speech in that city where he said to the leader of the Soviet Union, tear down this wall. It's unfortunate that so many Americans don't care about our very blessed, though certainly imperfect, history. There's an apathy about it. You all know what apathy is, right? One person was asked to define apathy, and he said, who cares? And he was right. But we should care, because knowing from where we came sheds light on where we are. What those who have gone before have done affects us in the present, and it also serves as examples for our way forward. And that's why the Word of God, the Bible, has its own, as it were, statuary hall. And it's in the chapter that we've been considering these last several weeks in Hebrews 11. In this chapter is contained the names of several characters from the Bible, all of whom lived in times and places very different from our own, but whose effects and example are very relevant to us. Friends, every time we read the Word of God, we need to understand that it is first speaking to a group of people then and there, but it is speaking to them then and there as examples and commands for us here and now. And we've looked at several of these already. In Hebrews 11, in verse 4, we saw Abel, who exemplifies the worship of faith. And in verse 5, we saw Enoch, who exemplifies the walk of faith. And last time together, in verse 7, we saw Noah, who exemplifies the work of faith. And today we come to the greatest exemplar of all, Abraham. 
He's an example not just of the worship of faith and the walk of faith and the work of faith, but he's an example of the whole life of faith. Abraham is, without doubt, the greatest example of faith in the Bible. If you are here today numbered among the faithful, that is, those who believe, believers, because faith and belief are the same word in your New Testament, as you'll no doubt recall. And if you're numbered among the faithful, if you're a believer, then you learn what it is to be saved by faith and live by faith as you look at the lives of those who've gone before us. And the greatest of these, the Bible teaches, is Abraham. God calls Abraham great. Three times in scripture, he's referred to as the friend of God. He's great in all the major religions. Islam's Quran mentions Abraham 188 times. And of course, he's considered great in Judaism. And that's why when Jesus encountered the Pharisees and the Sadducees and those who were leaders of the religion of Judaism, as you come to the first part of your New Testament, you find them saying things like, we have Abraham as our father. We are Abraham's descendants. Abraham is our father. He's great in Islam. He's great in Judaism. And of course, he's great in Christianity. If we're believers in Christ, we are, the Bible says, the children of Abraham the true spiritual heirs of Abraham. And that's why the Bible says this in Galatians chapter 3. The scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham, saying this, all nations will be blessed through you. So those who have faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. So what is it that we have in common with a guy from 4,000 years ago, and by the way, that's his time frame, 4,000 years ago, who was raised in what is now modern-day Iraq and who traveled as a a nomad over 1,000 miles to a land that he had never seen? Well, as we will see together, we, like he, like Abraham, do not know what is next in our lives. We do not know what the future holds, even the near future. But we, like he, must trust God as he did. We, like Abraham, are dependent on a power outside of ourselves, and we must trust that God has that power in infinite supply. And we, like Abraham, are constantly tempted toward unbelief, unbelief in both God's goodness and in God's power. And we must be reminded of who our God is. And so who is this man that is, according to the Bible, the supreme example of faith? Well, to this point, the author of Hebrews has handled this catalog of people of faith in the history that the Bible gives us in its first portion, the Old Testament. He's done so in chronological order. And so he started with Abel going back to Genesis chapter 4, and then Enoch going back to Genesis 5. And then we see in Genesis 6 through 10 the sinfulness of man and the extreme wickedness that was the case with all humanity. God judged humanity, you recall, by the, the flood, and he preached through the mouth of Noah 
to that wicked generation. We find that in Genesis 6 through 10. And after the flood, you have no special revelation from God. You have no one who is speaking on behalf of God. You have people simply in this in this uh, situation in which they know God, Romans chapter 1, but glorify him not as God. They have general revelation, but not specific revelation from a prophet of God. In Genesis chapter 11, then, comes the height of human arrogance in the Tower of Babel. You may remember that story. And it was building a tower to show human achievement, to reach into the heavens, said they. And God confounded, judged them by confounding their language such that they could not understand one another. And God could have just left it at that. God could have been just at leaving humanity in our sinfulness, confused, without revelation from him. But God had a gracious plan that he chose to execute through a very unlikely source. And that's just the way God does things, isn't it? He uses unlikely sources. People like you, people like me, and people like Abraham. You may remember that Genesis chapter 12 begins with God telling Abram, I want you to leave your country, your homeland, and your family, and I want you to go to a land that I will show you. And I am going to bless you with a place and with a people that will be your descendants, and through you, Abraham, all nations of the earth will be blessed. This is God executing his plan, his plan that goes into eternity past, But he's going to use this guy, Abraham. So who is he? Well, the Bible tells us that he was an idolater. God chose to use an idolater to carry out his plan of redemption. Joshua 24. Long ago, your forefathers, including Terah, the father of Abraham and Nahor, lived beyond the river and worshipped other gods. But I took your father Abraham from the land beyond the river and led him throughout Canaan and gave him many descendants. Abraham was an idol worshiper in Ur. I said he was located in what's now modern-day Iraq. The Bible calls it Ur of the Chaldeans or Ur of the Chaldees. There is still that city by that name in that place. The Bible tells us, Further of Abraham, you are the Lord God who chose Abram and brought him out of Ur of the Chaldeans. You found his heart faithful to you. And in Stephen's famous sermon in Acts chapter 7, just before he is stoned to death because of his confession of faith in Christ, he said this, the glory of God appeared to our father Abraham while he was still in Mesopotamia, saying, leave your country and your people, God said, and go to the land that I will show you. And so who is this man that God used to execute his plan of redemption in his grace towards sinful humanity? An idol worshiper, a pagan from Ur in modern-day Iraq named Abram. We're going to see from the example of this man God's grace in his life and the faith that God caused to exist within the heart of this man 
such that he's an example for us in the way that I say in your outline. The take-home truth in your outline says this. Believers trust God's goodness, and we trust God's power, and we do so at all times, and we see that in the life of our forefather Abraham. We're going to look at those three points that I have for you in the outline in just a moment. Let's pray and ask God to help us as we do. Father, we thank you for this privilege to gather as your people and look into your word, and in particular, to look at the example of our father Abraham. We thank you for your grace in his life that is an example of the grace that you show in the lives of all of your people. We thank you for the faith that he put into action, which is an example for the kind of faithful action that is to occur in the lives of us, of all of your people. And so help us to come away better equipped and more determined to be faithful like our father Abraham. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. First, I want you to see that like Abraham, all believers are to trust In God's provision, read with me in verse 8, beginning in verse 8 of chapter 11. By faith, Abraham, when he was called to go on a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. First thing I want you to see about Abraham trusting in God's provision, as we must, is that Abraham is not the one who sought God, but rather God is the one who sought and called him. God called him out of his own country and to a new one. And that's the same thing, friends, that God does with us. When you, if you have come to Jesus Christ, heard the gospel message, and you sense your need of the Savior through that message, it's because God touched your heart and was calling you out of this world and to a new one. God was beginning the process of making all things new in and through you. What Abraham was called to do was to leave Ur and leave his family and his friends and his society. And he was not told where he was going. We, like he, do not know what's going to happen in the future. But faith, belief... Believing God knows what is best, trusts him with the future. And you find that throughout this chapter on faith in the 11th chapter of Hebrews. The very first verse tells us what faith is. It is is believing things that we cannot see. And hoping for things that have not yet occurred. And so... A famous preacher, S. Lewis Johnson, Johnson, says this with regard to Abraham. We could say he was told to march, but he was not given a map. He was told to make progress, but he was not given any program. But nevertheless, he had the confidence that he would be going with God, and that was enough for him. Now, he was leaving a city, Ur, 
that at the time was highly developed, very accomplished in mathematics and in the sciences. It's a time and a civilization that our Arab friends so desire to get back to because at one time they had a very flourishing and, and developed civilization. But today, it's not much at all. There's a little, I'm told, mud hotel there. In fact, you can go and stay there. But one fellow who did so, who was an evangelical writer, he was writing a book on the ancient Near East, in particular on Abraham. He stayed there and he said in this little hotel in the town of Ur, there's a register where people sign their name. And there was a tourist who had been there and had spent the night. And he had put by the side of his name, after he signed it and paid his bill, he said, quote, no wonder Abraham left. But the truth is, it wasn't like that when Abraham left. When anyone believes in Jesus Christ, turning from his trust before then, and he turns to Christ, essentially he's doing what Abraham did. He's leaving what he knows to go on in faith, trusting in God for what he does not know. It's a new life, a life we don't know anything about, a future that we have no certainty about that has become ours when we come to Christ. But it's such an adventure if we step out in faith and we trust the Lord with our future, even in the midst of difficulties. As far as we know, the Bible does not record any time that Abraham asks for an explanation for why I'm going to be going to this country. That's what Jesus says to his followers, isn't it? Follow me. Trust me. He just says, follow me. He does not say exactly where he's going to take you in your time here on earth. You do not get the opportunity to say, I will follow you if. This won't happen, or that won't happen. And that's why I refuse to bargain with folks about salvation. Christ presents himself to us as Savior, but also as our Master and our Lord. And folks sometimes say, well, does that mean I have to go to church all the time? Or will I need to read the Bible all the time? Or will I have to give up some stuff I'm doing? And my answer is simply, you trust him completely. He knows what's best for you, and you do not bargain with God. You trust that what God provides, whatever that is, is best for you and for me. Someone has said rightly that crisis and crises do not make character, but they reveal character. When we're placed at a moment of decision, particularly difficult decisions, as was Abram in Ur, leaving everything to follow and trust God, it revealed what was there, what God in his grace had placed there. And no doubt there were many who looked at Abraham and said, it's a rather strange way for him to act, to get off and leave like that on some wild goose chase. And many mo no doubt no doubt thought he's going to come back sadder and, and wiser. But Abraham trusted God without knowing and without bargaining. And friends, Jesus says, follow me.
and you follow me today and tomorrow, next week, next month, next year. Why? Because we trust in his provision for us. He will provide what I need. He knows what I need before I get there. And faith trusts that very thing. Abram trusted that God would provide a place and a people. That place turned out to be tents. The people would come from his own loins. Donald Gray Barnhouse, that great preacher, says people must have talked about Abraham's, Abram's name. I mean, here he is. His name is Abram. Ab means father. And Ram means exalted. Abram, exalted father. <laughs> but you don't have any children. And you're hanging out now in Canaan. And if you know a little of the geography around there, you know that you had to go through Canaan to get through a lot of places. And the Bible tells us that while Abram was there, he amassed wealth. He became wealthy. So undoubtedly, he had much contact with merchants who would have to go through Canaan to get where they were going. And they would do what people do. What's your name? Abram. Exalted father. How many children do you have? None. Not only that, but in Genesis chapter 17, God says your name will no longer be Abram, exalted father. Your name will be Abraham. What's that mean? Father of multitudes. Must have seemed like a joke. It seemed that way to Sarah at first because she laughed. And in fact, when they had their first child, they named him Isaac. And the name Isaac means laughter. The Bible tells us that Abraham trusted God. He trusted God's provision even though he couldn't see the end of that provision. And verse 9 tells us, He made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents as did then Isaac and Isaac's son Jacob who were heirs with him of the same promise. Those tents signified that Abraham and Isaac and Jacob were not tied to this place here and now. But the Bible tells us that Abram was looking for a city with foundations whose builder and architect was none other than God himself. And so, friends, I ask you, as we are called to exemplify Abram's faith and trust in God's provision, are you tied to the stuff that's here. How tied to you, with what kind of grip do you hold on to the stuff that is here? Abram left his city. He left his family. He left everything behind to follow me. And so you think of that one thing that you say to yourself right now, God, don't ask me to give this up. And that's the idol of your heart. It may be a good, a good thing. It may be our children. It may be my job. It may be a spouse. I could never give, I could not live without these things. And Abram's faith tells us that there is one thing needful according to Scripture. One. 
And that is our relationship with the God who made us and the Savior who has bought us with his own blood. So, friends, as we look at the trust that Abram had in the provision of God, we've got to ask ourselves, to what am I holding on? Let me ask some of you, aged saints, and we're blessed in our church with a, a, a wide range of age groups, and I thank God for that. We have some of you who are senior saints now. Let me ask you, what are you holding on to? What are you waiting for to do something with the stuff that God has so graciously given to you? I mean, you need to answer that question. Are you going to be, how long are you going to be here? And what am I going to do with it? And as one has said, there are no U-Hauls behind a hearse, right? It is really true that you don't take it with you and it's been given to you in order to accomplish the work that God has called us to together. So Abram lived in tents, but the Bible tells us he was signifying that he was not tied down here. He lived like a stranger in a foreign country. Why? Verse 10. He was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder was God. We are called as was Abram. It's because of God's mercy, not because of anything within us. He was an idol worshiper, so were we. And so still are we tempted to have idols in our, our hearts. We don't know the future as he did not know the future, but we are called to trust in our God. How will you know whether or not you are trusting God as did our example, Abram? Let me give you a couple of ways. One way is in your reaction to what's happening in the present. Do I trust God with the future? You'll know by how you're reacting right now. How are you doing right now? With the stuff that's happening in your life right now. Do you trust God's provision for you right now is enough? No matter what's happening in your life, in your relationships, in your work life, in your health life, whatever it is, do you trust right now in God's provision for you? And friends, if we do not trust in God's provision for us in the present, we will not walk with confidence and faithful trust in Him into the future. And so one way you'll know is how you are reacting to what God has placed you in in the present. Here's another one. How do you react when God delays giving you what you desire? And what you desire may be a very good thing. But do you believe that God has absolutely perfect timing? You see, Abram was given this promise. Through your seed, Abram, all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed. But I don't have a seed. And I can't wait. And God forced him to wait on his, God's, perfect timing. Let me ask you this, friends. Is God good to you? All the time. Do you trust in God now? so that you can trust in God in the future because you believe that God is good all the time. Let me ask you, friends, will God provide for you? Will he provide what you need? 
Philippians 4.19. My God, this is a promise of Holy Scripture. My God will provide all of your needs out of his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. Philippians 4.19. And so, we like Abraham are called to trust in God's provision. Secondly, in your outline. We, like Abraham, as believers, are called to trust in God's ability. Verse verse 11. By faith, Abraham, even though he was past age and Sarah herself was barren, was enabled to become a father because he considered him faithful who had made the promise. And so from this one man, and he as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. You know the story about Abraham. It's a story that should inspire but also comfort us as well. Because the truth was even Abram for a period of time along with Sarah lapsed in their faith, didn't they? Lord, it's taking too long. This can't happen. And so we're going to have to take matters into our own hands. One commentator speculates that Sarah, who the Bible tells us proposed the idea to Abraham that he take his maidservant Hagar and have a son, that her motivation was to find out with whom is the problem. They've been trying. So is the problem with you or with me? He's able to have a child through Hagar, and so now Sarah knows that the problem is with her. And she knows her age, and she knows that it is really impossible for a woman of 90 years old to have a child, and yet we're faced with the the promise of God, and will we trust it? And she and he, through her, had this momentary lapse in faith. That ought to comfort us, friends. That's why Thomas said to Jesus, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. I'm weak in my faith from time to time, but thank God we have a gracious God who does not abandon us when we lapse in our faith as he did not abandon his promise to Abraham. And sure enough, God did provide because God has the ability and believers trust that God has the power. God has the ability to do what is impossible from a human standpoint. Because this is the God who made the world and the God who by his very word simply said, let there be light. And there was light. Now friends, that's the God you serve. A God who can simply say it and it happens. Let there be light and there was light. Let there be Isaac. And there was Isaac. And so I ask you friends, Can God do anything he chooses to do through you? Does he have the power? Does he have the ability? And so in that thing in which you are struggling right now, where you are starting your sentences like this, how will this get fixed? How will this happen? God has the ability. God has the power, does he not? Whatever it is. How can this happen? How can we get out of this mess? How can we start anew? 
How can God make something out of this twisted pretzel that I have made of my life? How can he untwist it and make it something beautiful for him? But can God do that, friends? Believers trust God's ability. And that's why Paul told us, again in Philippians 4, to remember that I can do all things. But I can do all things how? Through him who gives me strength. Believers trust God's provision, that it's good. They trust God's ability, that he has the power to materialize what he wants in our lives. And thirdly and finally, believers trust in God's provision and in his ability, his power, continually. Verse 13. All of these people, let me just stop there. All these people, all what people? Well, it's the people that have just previously been mentioned. Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, all these people were still living by faith when they died. Now, why were they living by faith? That is, living by what they could not see. Here's why. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. And they admitted that they were aliens and strangers on earth. And people who say such things show that they're looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. And therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. The promise that Abraham was given in Genesis 12 was given to Isaac in Genesis 26. It was given to Jacob in Genesis 28. But they did not realize the fulfillment of that promise in their lifetimes. Here's what Stephen says in that famous sermon in Acts chapter 7. God gave him, Abraham, no inheritance, not even a foot of ground. So he went into Canaan, but he dwelled in tents as a nomad, as a stranger, and an alien. But he longed for a better city, whose builder and designer was God. I said this past week I was in D.C. It's inspiring to stand before the Capitol building. I was able to do so several times. The church where I was attending the seminar was literally only a few blocks I was able to walk over a couple of times at night. And at night, it is absolutely spectacular. The Capitol Dome lit up. And to stand there and consider that you are standing at the symbol of the most powerful nation on earth. There is an office associated with the Capitol called the Architect of the Capitol. (laughs) And... Each Congress appoints someone to serve as the architect of the Capitol. Why? Because its design is so exquisite and must be known from what has been added to it in the past and any that might need to be added to it in the future. The Capitol building has quite a history. It burned partially just after it was completed as part of the War of 1812. It could have been taken out just a few years ago if the plane that crashed in Pennsylvania had been successful on its mission to fly into the Capitol building in Washington. 
And I say all of that for this reason, friends. It's a spectacular place. Thank God for it. But can you imagine with the eye of faith the city that a builder and architect whose name is God has prepared for his people? If men can construct a majestic place like that, how much more can the creator who made those creatures provide for his people? And so we look forward to a city that God is preparing for us. And we live accordingly as strangers and aliens. When it says aliens in verse 13, it's the Greek word xenos. Xenophobic, that means fear of foreigners. The truth of the matter is, People in our world have a fear of the foreigners who are Christians. Because you are living for a different country, a different city, a different city. Your citizenship, Philippians chapter 3 and verse 20, is not ultimately here. It's ultimately in heaven. And in all of this, this passage ends in verse 16 with a marvelous statement. Notice the end of verse 16. God is therefore not ashamed. To be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. It's a stunning statement. One of the most stunning statements in the book of Hebrews. Therefore, because of this kind of trust, trust in God's provision and trust in God's ability, God is not ashamed to be called our God and he's preparing a city for us. I'm pretty sure that I give God plenty of reasons to be ashamed to be called my God. I can just imagine that Satan goes into heaven as he did in the case of Job. And he's also always before the throne of God doing what? The Bible says he's accusing the brethren. And he brings up my name and he brings up the name of any and all of us who are so utterly unworthy. And he says to God, how in the world do you want to be associated with these people? You should distance yourself from them. It's bad for your reputation, God. And God says, I'm not ashamed to be called their God. And I prepared a city for them. And in that city, I prepared a room for them in my house. And I'm going to bring them there. I'm going to glorify them. And I'm going to make them like my son. And I'm going to put them on my throne. And I'm going to bless them forever and ever and ever. Thanks be to God. There's a song that I love to listen to and sing that says this. There is a higher throne than all this world has known. Where faithful ones from every tongue will one day come. Before the sun will stand, made righteous through the Lamb, believing hearts from every tongue will worship Him. Friends, do you look forward to that time and to that city? And do you trust God in a way in the here and now that shows that you're not living for here, but living for them? Believers trust in God's provision and in God's ability 
And they do that continually. Let's bow before the Lord together. Father, thank you for your grace in allowing me to speak during this time. And thank you for these dear brothers and sisters who have come to hear your word and have opened their minds and their hearts to its truth. And we thank you for giving it to us. Lord, I believe what I said earlier, that you could have been perfectly just by leaving us in the dark into our sin during the Tower of Babel or any other time. You are not obligated to give us the grace of your word, but in your mercy you have stooped down to give us guidance, to give us light in our otherwise dark hearts and dark world. So we thank you for the word of God and the revelation that it is to us such that we can read it, we can see the examples contained therein and see the parallels in our own lives. Thank you for the example of our father Abraham and his, his trust in you. He failed. He was sinful, as are we. But overall, his life was an exemplary testimony of faith in you. May we be like Abraham as his children in faith. We have come to you believing who you are and what you have done. Help us to continually believe today and tomorrow and next year and for all the days of our life who you are and what you can and will do in our lives. May it make a difference today and this week in the way we react to the circumstances that you, as a loving God, allow into our lives. And Lord, I pray for anyone who is here who has never come to the fount of mercy that's provided for us, the one who was promised through Abraham to be ultimately this blessing to all nations, the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who died to make it possible for us to have a relationship with you. I pray that some right now are asking you to forgive their sin and to apply the death of Jesus and the blood he shed on their behalf to them personally so that they can begin this new walk with you as strangers and aliens in this world looking for the city that is to come. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.